It's all right. It's just hold my Bible. Good morning. Good morning. Is this just me being all over the place? I'll try and like I'm going to stay still. That's fine. Y'all can just deal then. All right. Good morning. I'm so grateful that Dave has been teaching us from this series called Honest Worship from the Psalms. I love the Psalms. I didn't used to love the Psalms. I love them now because I've needed them. And I hope that you're seeing that we need these Psalms in our life. And we're actually just going to get started by opening up to Psalm 120. Psalm 120. It'll be on the screen because the Lord loves me and the screens work. Or because Anthony and Aisley helped and fixed it. One or the other. As we read through Psalm 120, I want you all to help me out. You're going to read about some of the things that are going wrong in this man's life, and I'm going to ask you to name them. So follow along with me. Psalm 120, and you'll see a title underneath it, A Song of Ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Ooh. Whatever. Woe to me, for I sojourn in Mesut, and I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long I have had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I speak peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The Psalms of Ascents. This is not a good day for this guy, is it? So tell me some of the things that you see that are going wrong in his world. They're not hard. It's not a trick question. What's some of the things going wrong around him? Lying, right? Oh, look, it's easy. Promise, no trick questions. A lying lips, deceitful tongue. People lying to him, people lying about him, people lying on a normal basis. It's just, just where he lives, we don't know. But lying lips, deceitful tongues. What else is going wrong? War. So he's trying to speak peace. He's trying to live in peace. Every time he talks, fighting erupts. People, more people stand against him. War is happening, whether it's personal or whether it's in the land he lives in. And what's wrong with the land he lives in? Apparently, we don't really like Meshach and Kedar, right? Well, that's not the point. Point is, he's far from home. He is not only far from home, but he's in a land where none of God's people really are. This is more like the land of like the Republic of Georgia by the Black Sea, all the way down to the Arabian Desert. In other words, it's not even close to Israel. So he's in a place he doesn't like, with people he doesn't like, and everywhere around him is war. It's not a good day. It's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to dwell. And this is the land he's living in, which is really good news for us. Because out of his distress, he wrote words, pinned them down, and God chose to include these words for all of his people for all time. He feels the pain of his life. This is called the Song of Ascents. These were 15 psalms that span from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These psalms are songs that they would sing as they traveled from their homes up to Jerusalem, up to the temple to worship about three times a year. They they would sing these, and this one is how they would all begin because it was also a parable for what they were doing with their lives, coming out of whatever pain they were in, 
whatever distress they were in, whatever home was going, whatever was going wrong in their homes, they were that's where they dwelt, that's where they lived. And as they traveled, they were ascending not only physically, but ascending from where they were to the worship of their God, which is really helpful for us. Because when they did it, they spoke honestly. It's not the only psalm that does this. I want to show you, these are not ascent psalms, but I want to show you other honest words from the psalms that are in there for us to speak. Look at this one, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. Psalm 44. Awake! Why are you sleeping? O Lord, rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Psalm 88. You have put me, you, and he's talking to God, you have put me in the depths of the pit in regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all of your waves. Those are real words penned by real people who were in real pain. And they are desperately honest, aren't they? Words that we sometimes shudder to say. They're honest. And they're in God's Word. And I wanted to point out those to you because sometimes out of 150 Psalms, how do you remember? Those words of desperation came from 22.44.88. Can you see how easy that is to remember? Double them. 22.44.88. Or Psalms you can go back to again and again. They're honest. And the thing about them being in God's Word is that tells us they're okay to feel. Whatever you feel... You will find that feeling in the Psalms. There's a man named David Pallison, who's a biblical counselor I love, and he says this, in the Psalms, you meet God right where you are, whatever it is. And sometimes where you are isn't good. Some of you struggle with chronic illness. Some of your family does. Some of you are struggling with loss. I came in to church this morning. There's an elderly gentleman who lives right around the corner from me. And I said to him, how's it going, Hayden? And he said, I'm doing okay. And I said, oh, Hayden, what happened? And he said, you know, Shirley died, his wife. I didn't know. I didn't know. But he came here. He came here with real pain and real honest words about how he was doing. Some of you are there. Some of you have lost. Some of you are just facing struggles of what's to come, separations in your family, fights and divorces among your parents. Then you're dealing with step families and the conflict all of that arises from. Some of you are facing college and applications and scholarships. Some of you have gotten in. Now you've got to figure out how you're going to pay for it. And it all weighs upon you, and every grade seems to matter. It's heavy. That's what life is like for us. One year ago, this week, I faced one of the hardest trials I've ever faced. It all happened because of this little girl. That's our Lyra. So one year ago, two years after waiting, we got the call that we could go get her. Court date, 
was set for us. You're supposed to find out the court dates about adoptions for about a month, six weeks, so that you can, you know, raise money, get your act together. They told us to be in Ukraine in three days. We had three days to get $20,000 and get ourselves to Ukraine to get this little girl. We were desperate. We had no idea how. I just kept laughing, like, how do you do this? It happened in 12 hours. 12 hours later, the body of Christ had provided us with $20,000. And then the gifts kept coming. People dropped by clothes for her, a suitcase for her, medicines, toys, things I never would have thought of, an iPad filled with games for her level so that she wouldn't, she could be distracted. That girl has Beats headphones. I don't have Beats. <laughs> Lyra has Beats in our family, right? She got everything, and we were so excited. And then one family came to us Thursday and said, we bought an entire pack of gift cards for local restaurants for you to give to your football guys that come over because we know for a month you'll be gone and they won't be able to come over to eat. So Friday morning, pep rally, I go there, and I'm handing them. They also bought them cases of ramen because they love ramen. Uh, they would bring pizza rolls, but they were going to defrost. So I give them ramen. I give them a pack of ramen, and each of them an envelope filled with gift cards that somebody in our body provided because they wanted not only to support us to go, but to sustain us while we were here. And we go there, and I'm on a high. I take Aisley and Brennan with us. We're actually going to go meet family. It's about 11 o'clock. We're driving out of town to meet some family before we can, so we can see them before we go. And Cassie calls, and a miracle had occurred. Cassie's in graduate school at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and they had, she had said, she's crying that morning. They're like, what's wrong? They're like, she's like, this is what happened. They're like, what are you doing here? Go with them. You speak Ukrainian. Well, you can turn in your work from there. So the school let her go. But then she called her work, and she's like, she works for Chick-fil-A. How can they let her off? And they were like, what are you doing here? Go. Do you need any help to get there? And so she called the woman who was booking our flights, and guess what? She got on our plane. The girl who can speak to my girl is going with us. She can stay the whole time. When Lyra's sad, we can know what's going on. When I need to tell her what to do, she can do it. When she has to go to the bathroom, no accidents. This is a big deal. It's 11.30. I hang up the phone. Aisley's driving, and I am sobbing with joy. And the phone rings again, and it's our attorney. Fifteen minutes later, I am sobbing with grief as he tells us that there's a problem with our paperwork. After two years of paperwork trouble, the federal government knows exactly who Lyra is. They think it's great. They set an appointment. Come and see her. State government knows exactly what's going on. You call the local level and say, hey, there's a, little, there's a family coming to adopt Lyra. And they said, who? Valeria Balaboy the orphan that's at this orphanage. And they're like, she? There's no orphan there. Name that. No, no, no. Let me look up her case. They call him back. Yeah, we have her case file. She's living with her mother about three hours from there. And they say, uh, no, she's at that orphanage. She's been there all of her life. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, we don't, we don't have a record of her. That means... It's not going to take days to fix, not weeks, not months. And here we are one year later, and we have one year more. <laughs> Lyra will be 11 when she comes home, if, right? 
she comes home. And I was not just sad, not just frustrated. I was livid. I was so angry. And guess what? That's okay. I felt so set up. Can you see that? Listen, I'm 47 years old. Guess how many times I've been told no? A lot. No's don't actually bother me. We've been told no to Lyra for two years. Tell me no again, I would have been fine. But yes, no, that felt like a betrayal. It felt like I was set up. Back then, I wrote on a Facebook comment to a friend that this is what it felt like to me. I want you to imagine, this is going to be more for the guys or for my Aisley, but just go with me. But I want you to imagine that you're out with your dad one Saturday morning. And he uh, says to you, like, do you want to run errands with me? i got to go to Lowe's. And you're like, oh, that or clean the house with mom. I'll go with dad. So you go with your dad, and he's driving you around. And all of a sudden, he pulls up to Best Buy. And he's like, you're like, what are we getting here? And he's like, actually, that Xbox One you've been asking for. And you're like, shut up. Are you kidding me? And he's like, nope. Today's the day. I'm going to give it to you. So you both get out of the car, you go in, you go to the back of the store, and he's like, there it is. I'll carry this part. Make sure you get extra controllers. Make sure you have all the games you want. I want you to load up. I want to gift you with this. And you just can't believe it. He's carrying the console. You've got all the accessories. You walk up to the counter. Somebody's in front of you. You're just staring at him like, are you serious? He's like, yes, this is it. And that guy pays out in front of you, and you take off walking, put it on the on the conveyor belt, and as you walk towards, your dad just keeps on walking. Goes out to the car. And you're left going like, wait, 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 wait. I can't, I can't actually finish this without you. You have to be here. If you and I had done this to one of our children, we'd be cruel. And this is what my God did to me. I had one thing going for me in those dark days. I had women after women come and sit with me in my grief, like Job's friends did. They did so well. And they would say, though, can I just ask you a question? Like, how do you do this? And I would tell them the only words I could say. I have one thing going for me in this. I know that it's okay that I'm not okay. I know it's okay that I'm angry. It's okay that I feel set up. It's okay that I'm livid with God. How could I know that? Because his word told me. His words tell us that we can feel all the feels that you feel. It's okay. You can cry out to God with words that even accuse him. And just in case you're you get kind of worried that that's actually not okay. Understand that his own son did so. His own son used those words of Psalm 22 to cry out his own pain, his own suffering, but also his own feeling of betrayal and isolation on the cross. Look at Psalm 22 again. Oh, that's actually the next. Sorry. Did you hear those words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus spoke them on the cross. Why have you abandoned me? I'm your only son. I did exactly what you told me to do, and you have abandoned me here in the depth of my pit, in the depths of my suffering. 
how could you abandon me here? Jesus felt exactly that. It's how the psalmist felt. Thousands of years later, it's how Jesus felt. And thousands of years later, it's how I felt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I also knew from his words that there were more words in Psalm 22. The psalmist didn't end at verse 1 and leave a cry of desperation. He added these. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. You all you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him. He has heard when he cried out to him. There was a path out of the darkness for Jesus through death and into life. And there is a way for us. There is a way to reorient ourselves to God to reorient our feelings in the depth of our suffering. The reality of Psalm 120 is true. He hates where he's living. He hates what's happening. He hates the people that are living around him. And he is crying out to the Lord in his distress. But Psalm 120 didn't, didn't stop there, never to be sung anything else. They sang Psalm 120 in the darkness and then they turned the corner to Psalm 121. So turn there if you have your app to Psalm 121. How I was feeling in the depths of those days was real and true, guys. In the days and weeks and months that followed, those feelings lingered. But much like little Camilla, who is over there with my girl Aisley, Camilla is honestly this peaceful, like you haven't even heard her. This is honestly what she's like most of the time, until she's hungry. And when she's hungry, somebody around her stabs her with needles, apparently, because she goes from silent to screeching at us. And the closer you get to actually feeding her, the worse her cries get, as if you're going to set her up. She screams because she doesn't know, right? She's five weeks old. She doesn't trust us. She will grow. She will learn that when she cries, we will answer her needs. When she's hungry, we will feed her. We delight in her goodness and her to be joyful. We're happy to meet her needs. And she will grow and she will trust us. And then she'll become a teenager and she will not trust us anymore. <laughs> and that's actually why I'm so happy to talk to you about this because I know you don't trust. I know you do not trust easily. And I know you feel anxious and afraid and grieving and betrayed and lonely and pressure and isolated. I know how you feel. I was you. And that's how I felt at your age. I was so unsure of myself, of my world, of my future. I didn't know where to turn. And I know that's where you are too. I know you don't trust easily. So we need this, Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. 
He's the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is also a song of ascents. This is meant to be sung right after you finish Psalm 120. It's meant to turn you out of the depths to raising your head. Where will your help come from in all of this? Well, this is what I knew. My Lord has done this. He will be the one to help me. Verse 1. So there you are. In your distress, in your pressure, in your anxieties, whatever the test is, whatever the application is, whatever the family problem, whatever the health problem, whatever the relationship struggles you're in, there you are. Your help comes from, did you hear it, the maker of heaven and earth. The one who created all things. Every teacher, every parent, every situation, where you dwell, where you go, as you come in, the Lord is the creator of all of these things, and he is Lord over all of these things. You don't face a test question that hasn't gotten by him first for your good, not your destruction. You don't face a relationship struggle that has not passed by him, been twisted and turned by him for your good and not your harm. There has done nothing that has come into my life, whether Satan meant to destroy me with it or not, whether the world stood against me with it or not, that has not been passed, changed, ordained, created by my God for his glory and for my good. He is Lord of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, from the Lord himself. I want you to turn and look at Hosea 6. The way out is not to focus simply on yourself and how you're feeling, but the acknowledgement of who God is for us. Hosea is in the midst of great struggle, and he calls out to Israel, Come, let us return to the Lord. For who has torn us? He has torn us. That he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will come. He will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we might live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as spring rains, as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. You have to know who is coming. You have to know that the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, is the one who's coming to you to revive you, to bind you, to heal you, to restore you. He himself is coming. That's why we need these psalms of ascent. We need to know how to ascend out of the depths of our grief and up to the glory of God. How do we ascend from the dust to glory? Just what the psalmist says. So the Psalm 120, rather than telling the man in Psalm, turn back to 121, 
rather than telling the man what's going to happen in his land, what's going to happen to those with lying lips, what's going to happen and how he's going to get back to Israel, the psalmist turns his eyes from what's happening around him to the Lord. Let us return to the Lord. Come, let us know our God. And so all he does is speak about our God. This is actually a psalm that is written for you and I to almost say to one another, come, let us return to him. See him as he really is. Guys, he didn't give me Lyra to crush me. There's a lot of stuff that has come in and out of my life because of this one little girl, but he loves Lyra. He is for her. He is not against her. In whatever we feel about the circumstances of Lyra's adoption, we can know this. The Lord loves Lyra. But how can I know that? How can I really know? Surely you know this answer. He wrote it down for me. Psalm 68.4, a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows is our God in his holy dwelling. Psalm 68.4 is like a lifeline for me. Whenever I doubt how Lyra's doing, doubt how this is going to go, I can just hear this in my head. The father to the fatherless, that's my God in his holy dwelling. He is for Lyra. I didn't say he was bringing her here. Whether she remains in Ukraine or comes here, he is for Lyra. He is a father to the fatherless. Guys, no matter what powers we're facing, no matter how daunting the task in front of us, no matter how how daunting the separation in relationships, our God is Lord of heaven and earth. And this God of heaven and earth promises to do some things in this Psalm 121. Three and four, he will not let your foot be moved. That's a big deal when you're traveling the roads up to Jerusalem. When you travel in Israel up to Jerusalem, you travel up, up the hills, up the mountains, to the, to the high place of the temple. And along there, of course, there's places where it's slippery, where it's dangerous, where the pathway would be treacherous, where you could fall to your destruction. And it isn't our life like that. Aren't you facing things that seem treacherous to you? feels like you can throw you off the path. It feels like you really will find destruction and not life here. And here's God trying to tell you who he is. I will not let your foot be moved. He will neither slumber nor sleep. You worry that it's going to get messed up. I know you do. You worry whether or not someone will love you. You worry about whether or not you'll get the job that you want, whether you'll make something, having a team that you want to be on. You worry about your grades. You worry about your relationships. You worry about which college you're going to be in. You worry about how to pay for college. I know you do. And here's God crying out to you. Your life will not be derailed from the good and glorious plans that God has for you. They cannot be derailed because the Lord of heaven and earth, your keeper, is your keeper. Your foot will not be moved. You will, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord keeps you. He will keep you on the right path. I want you to notice that verse. Look at verses 3 and 5. Three through, sorry, 3 through 7. 
he who keeps you, one. Behold, he who keeps Israel. The Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all even. He will keep your life. Anytime you see words repeated in Scripture, stop and take note, underline them, and understand God is bending the language of English, and when he started in Hebrew, bending the language to get us to see something. The Lord will keep you. Yes, do your part. Of course you're going to do your part. Read the Bible. Be obedient to him. Understand his word. Be in community. Go to church and worship him. Of course there are things for you to do. But let me ask you this. If I'm a father with a child, well, let's just take this one, sweet Camilla with Aisley. And unfortunately, because her car broke down on I-35, she's got to get all the way across I-35 north and southbound traffic. And I need Camilla to be safe. Which one of you would like to trust in the strength of Camilla? How stupid would that be? Do you think with the startled noise and everything that's going on around her, she will actually clutch Aisley? She does. The music started, she clutched me. Something startles her, she clutches. She kind of has an instinctive fear of danger. But my bet is on Aisley keeping Camilla more than Camilla keeping Aisley. Guys, you do need to cling to the Father. I do want you to go to his word. I do want you to read it. But I need you to understand the only reason you can is because the Father is clinging to you. It is his strength we're counting on. It is his wisdom and his knowledge and his ability to see you through your life that we're counting on. Our hope is not in us. It's not who we know. It's not what kind of an education we have. It's not who we're around. Oh, gosh, raising girls, it's been so hard to convince them that they don't have to look the right way, be in the right circumstance with the right guy, get the right education in the right school for their life to turn out in a way that will just knock them over with joy. Our God is Lord of heaven and earth. He can move all things, including the hearts of a young man, to love them. Including the the college application process. Including all money. He can give you $20,000 in 12 hours if that's the plan of God for your life. He is Lord of heaven and earth. I want to press this on you because if you don't believe this, if you stop believing, if you turn aside from this truth, guess what happens? Worry, envy, bitterness, malice, hatred, grief, despair, disappointment, rage, anger. All of the things that the Bible names that come out of us come out of our disbelief that God really is who he says he is which is why the Psalms were written to restore our sight of God, to give us a new vision, a fresh vision of who he is. I need you to see that the God who keeps Israel, the God who kept Abraham, the God who kept Isaac and Jacob and David and Daniel and Jesus and Peter, that God will keep you also. He is your Father, if, and guys, it's the hugest if you'll ever face, if. He's your father if 
you trusted in his only son to be your salvation in this life and the next one. Because I need you to know, if you're new to this, that the Father doesn't feel about you like he feels about me. If you don't know him as your Savior, you need to understand that he has a particular kind of love for me, a protective, caring, provisional kind of love for me that he does not have for the rest of this world. This is not my opinion. It's exactly what, he, what, the, what the Bible says. He cares for them. In fact, he sends rain today on the good and the evil. They get sheltered. They have jobs. They have joy. They have families. But I have more than what this world can offer. Jesus didn't just buy me death for life out of the sins and death that I was facing. Jesus adopted me into his own family and gave me a father. That father promised me, 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all of the promises he has ever made to all of his people across all time, all the promises of God are yes to me in Christ Jesus. That's why we utter our amen through his name. The reason I end every prayer in, in Jesus' name, amen, meaning let it be done. Is because I'm claiming what Jesus said I, I did for you. I gave you the Father as your Father. I grafted you into the family of God. If you know Him as your Savior, you have therefore a Father. You are no longer an orphan. And that changes everything. From your going out to your coming in. Every activity you do, every activity done to you whether it's done by evil people or by friends. Everything in your world is ordained by your God for your good end in Christ. And your foot will not slip from that path. He will delight you. You can trust it if he's yours. If you do, then you can say with Charles Spurgeon, we can venture into battle without dread. None are so safe as those whom God keeps, and none so in danger as the self-secure. Did you hear it? None are so safe as those whom God keeps, and none so much in danger as the self-secure. That's the warning, because that's the danger. When you turn away from God, when you disbelieve who he is, his character, his nature, his actions, his purposes. When you lose faith in those, what you do is turn to yourself and what you think. What's going to get you out of this? What's going to get you to the next step? What's going to secure your future? What's going to secure that guy? You will sin every time you turn away from God because you're trusting in something else to get you what you want. The battle in the Christian life is the battle to see God for who he really is and to place all of our hope in that, all of our trust. When we think about Lyra, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm fighting to do. If you've ever seen a post by us on Facebook or Instagram, we do a hashtag called Hope Enough. It is not simply a saying. It is our proclamation both to ourselves and to you that when it comes to Lyra's life and her adoption and how she ends this world, I am counting on Christ to be hope enough 
for Lyra. Because if he is not, not only can I not breathe, I will do anything I can to help her. Guys, this doesn't change how I feel about the situation. It's not because all of a sudden I see God better. I'm thrilled that Lyra's in an orphanage one more year and one more year to come. I'm so happy that we know she cries for us at night. Are you kidding me? Tell me how you could breathe knowing there's a little girl crying for you and you can't get to her. Here's how I breathe. On the tail end of that thought is this. My God has more power to do good to Lyra in the darkness of Ukraine than I can if she's in my arms. My God, who is Lord of heaven and earth, is the comforter, the God of all comfort, who comforts those in every affliction. He will comfort his children. He has to, or I'm done. <laughs> Somebody said, like, I don't know why you're, how you're not, like, living outside the gates of the orphanage. How do you not, like, sneak in every day? How do you leave a daughter there and come home? Because it's just me leaving. Good grief. It's just me leaving. What do you think my hope is in this life and in this death? That I can somehow be there for Lyra? I can't even speak her stupid language. And I've tried for nine years. <laughs> and every time I try, I mess it up. By the stories my family can tell you of how I have offended Ukrainians. Every time I want to ask her if she needs to go to the bathroom, I end up saying things like, what's wrong with you? I was not kidding. Like, I cannot speak her language. I'm not her hope. My hope is in the Lord for Lyra. Honest worship is about coming to God honestly. But it is not about staying there. Because Honest worship takes into account the whole of reality. And in the midst of our grief and our sufferings and our despairs and anxieties, we go real narrow, just like Camilla with hunger. All she knows is hunger. All she knows is want. All she knows is need. And she is crying out in desperation. She doesn't know the whole picture. She forgets to look up. She doesn't cast her eyes up to the hills yet. And unfortunately, too many of us, and sometimes too often for me, I do a lot like her. Screaming in my desperation, screaming in my cares and my sufferings, and I forget to lift my eyes up to the hills where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And when that happens... Our emotions change, not because, again, it's not like I stop feeling things. I get emotion added to emotion. What you need to quit doing is telling yourself to stop it. I know I need to not be so angry with her. I know I need to be more forgiving. I know I need to. You don't have to actually stop being just about, uh, uh, you know, feeling bad about injustice. You don't have to get over being angry that somebody did something to you. You don't have to look at a Baylor bill for... I don't know, what is it now, $170,000 for four years and think that's going to be a piece of cake. You're welcome, Andrew. He needs some more eye surgery so we can get that paid for. You don't have to stare at that bill and think, wow, that's actually not that big of a deal. It actually is that big of a deal, and Andrew has no ability to meet it. 
Just like Anthony had no ability to meet it. Just like Cassie had no ability to meet it. Our trust is not in Anthony and Cassie and Andrew. How stupid would that be? No offense. I mean, it's kind of offense, but you know what I'm saying. I'm on record, so no offense. Our trust is in the Lord fulfilling the good purposes he has for them. Our trust is in the Lord. That's what's supposed to happen. Add feeling to feeling. Hear this. Your emotions are meant to be commanded, not obeyed. Say it again. The emotions you feel are real and true and honest about the situation, about your perception of it. Those are real. It's okay. But they're not meant to stand there and tell you what to do. You're not supposed to listen to them and fall live your life out of them. Your emotions, by the word of God, are meant to be commanded, just like the rest of your life is, not obeyed. Your emotions are meant to be commanded, not obeyed. And that happens not by telling yourself to quit it. It happens by renewing your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not about the situation, not about you, not about your resources, not about this world. You need to renew your mind with who God is. As these people went from their lives to the temple to worship. That's what they were doing by these psalms. They were reorienting themselves into the story of God, seeing him for who he actually is instead of how they felt about him. Use these same psalms. Say them yourselves. Say them to each other. Use them to lift your head back up to see God for who he really is. That's why, listen... Read your Bibles, but not because that's the right thing to do and you can check it off. Because you desperately need to see the God of the universe as your Holy One, that you might be reoriented in your emotions. Trusting God comes from knowing God. Knowing God comes from His Word. Nod to it, even when you don't feel it. So I read it and say, God keeps your life, and I want to do this at it. Learn to nod. It is true whether I feel it or not. It's truth. Nod with the scriptures. And sometimes preach it, even when you don't feel it. Get up on a stage and tell people, this is our God. He has torn us that he may heal us. He has wounded us that he might bind us up. Come, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will water us as the showers, as the spring rains which water the earth. I honestly long for her. And I honestly trust my God with her. Both exist. And sometimes, though, the underwave crashes over the top. And I have to reset again. In my distress... I called to the Lord, and he answered me with himself. And that changes everything. Pray with me. So, Father, we're begging you to do this. We're begging you to reorient our lives in you. We're begging you to take our honest feelings, accept them as you've always accepted the psalmist's words, as us coming to you as children in desperation. And transform us there, Father. 
transform our minds that we might see you, transform our emotions that we might not obey them, transform our will to live out a life that trusts you despite all that we see. We're asking you to do it as you have done for Israel for all of their days and as you will do for your people for all the days to come. Grant this to us because of the blood of your son which has bought this for us in our adoption. We pray for his sake, because of him, and to his glory. Amen. Shockingly, we are out of time. You're dismissed if you need to be. You're welcome to go over some questions if you have time, but I don't want your parents ticked. <laughs>